Good morning, West Liberty. It's Wednesday, April 1st. And unfortunately, with everything going on in the world, you're not seeing too many April Fool's jokes. You're not seeing all that kinds of stuff going on. And it's just the way the world is right now. Uh, we're supposed to be in our homes. We're supposed to be staying safe. We're supposed to stay away from people. And that's even hard to do. Uh, even on Facebook, uh, I love the idea that people are saying we miss church. We miss being together, and we do. Uh, I know, for one, it's a long week and even a longer weekend because there's nothing to look forward to getting together on Sundays. And I guess I never realized how much I look forward to Sundays. And I know I should because I preach and I do all those things. But, man, I miss seeing everybody as we gather together on Sundays to worship and do other things as we fellowship together. But this morning, as we continue talking about the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus is there, he's taken Peter, James and John with him to keep watch with him, to pray with him and for him. And even as we read the text, we see that they sleep at different times. That they can't stay awake because I don't think they quite understand yet exactly what's going to happen to Jesus. But it's in the garden where we start to see Jesus' passion and his love for us. I mean, we've seen it all through his life. He's given us those examples. But it's in this garden when he's begging his father to find another way to do something different. That the weight of the sins that's been placed upon him is just so heavy. So as we read this, I want you to see the passion that Jesus has for us but also the passion God has for us by sending his son for us. So let's read Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. Follow with me. It says this. It says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here. And keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. Then he came back and he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. One of the questions that we asked uh, at the end of last week was simply this. Who delivered Jesus to die? Not Judas for money, not Pilate for fear, not the Jews for envy, but the Father for love. You see, Abba delivered his own son for love, and more specifically, love for us. In fact, 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says this. It says, this is Real love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Remember, we said Jesus didn't come to earth to pacify an angry father. It was actually the father who sent his son to stand in our place. That is real love. 
It also says he sent his only son. That's huge, folks. Some Bibles even say his only begotten son or his one and only son. But the Greek kind of puts in a little different light. It says unique son or a one of a kind son. You see, Jesus was the only son of God. And I understand that we know that the Bible says we are sons and daughters, but it also says we are adopted into his family through Jesus. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 1, 5, he says, In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to his pleasure and his will. You see, when you realize Jesus lived the perfect life where he did not sin, It doesn't mean he didn't fall and scratch his knee. He didn't get a splinter working in the shop with his father. It means he never sinned. Hebrews 4.15 says, He faced every temptation that we do, yet he did not sin. And you see, that was Jesus' passion. Even though Jesus lived in perfect obedience, that he never had the shame of sin. But when Jesus took on our sin on that cross, he felt the weight of that sin. And also we know this, that Jesus took more than physical pain. Jesus took more than physical death for us because he took our sins to the cross, all of them. All of our shame of disgrace, all of our rebellion, all of our shame. He took it all for us and he placed it on his shoulders. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become righteousness. That we might become righteousness. I like another translation that says, so that we could be made right with God. So we could be made right with God. Someone asked this great question. Says, I wonder if the burden of putting on our sins was heavier than knowing of the pain and death that was coming. Good question. You see, I see God sending his son to die for us. I see God the Father agonizing over watching his son go to that cross and seeing all the agony that he's experiencing. But we also know that didn't take any of the pain away. Even though God the Father knew he would raise Jesus three days later, but to put all of the sins of us on his shoulders just proves to us how much he loves us. You see, it's in that scene in the movie, The Passion, where Jesus' face is covered with blood and sweat that we read about in Mark 15. His hair is matted with blood, both dried and fresh. He is staggering on his feet as if the burdens that he is carrying is just too much. And even in his prayers, with unbearable emotion to his father, to his Abba, where Jesus says over and over again, please, Father, find another way, anything. If there's another way, what you have asked me to do, it's crushing me. But in this movie, as Jesus is doing this, you see things begin to change. It's in the movie in this point where Jesus accepts what he has to do. And he says those powerful words. He says, Father, Dad. Not my will, but yours be done. In other words, he's saying, okay, dad, whatever you want, I will do. You see, it's then when he accepts the will of his father. When he knows without a doubt 
This is what he came to do. This is what he has to do. That's when he stands up tall and steady. And he looks down at Satan in the form of a snake or a serpent. You see, it's at this point, Satan has to know it's over. That things are changing. Because he sees the determination and the strength in Jesus' eyes after he's accepted the will of the Father. It's then Jesus raises his heel and he crushes the head of Satan. And I want us to see, and I want us to know that it was in the garden that it shows us exactly how much Jesus loves us. Because Jesus knew that even after accepting the will of his Father, it wouldn't be easy. Jesus knew that he would still feel the pain of all the scourging and the nails when the thorns would be crushed on his head. And who knows what else he knew he would experience and feel every pain. And when we take a close look at the garden scene, I think we see a powerful picture of sacrifice, of the love of a father has for us. And we look at that scene and we see all that Jesus is doing. Even the guys that are with him can't stay awake long enough to pray with him and for him to get through this. But we have to also remember, there would be no power in this for us if it would have been easy for Jesus. If God would have taken away the pain, if God would have taken away the cross and found another way, then it wouldn't be as powerful for us to understand God's true love. Also remember what Max Lucado said, that he'd rather go to hell for us than to go to heaven without us. But there's something else in the movie I want you to see and to grab onto today. And you don't see it at first in the movie, uh, but someone else is there in the movie. In the moon, you see it, the light reflecting off of it. It's a hint of God's presence. As you see the clouds move past in the scene, you know that Abba is there. That God the Father is seeing and he is hearing everything that is happening. You see, it's never a question if God hears his son begging and pleading. Not for the toys or the candies or the wants and the desires we often pray for. But Jesus is begging his father, his Abba, to take the hurt away. To help him with this burden. Because this burden just seems too much for him to carry. So imagine again Abba hearing his son beg. For him to find another way to do something, to do anything to take it away. So my question I guess for us today is could God have found another way? I can't believe that he couldn't. After all, God is God. He's all powerful. He has that infinite power that we understand. But some suggest God was either silent or he spoke a quiet but gentle whisper, no. You see, as Jesus prayed, even in the garden, he didn't hear anything. Nothing changed. It says he prayed again. Again, he didn't hear anything or nothing changed. And maybe that's a lot like our prayers. We pray, we don't hear anything. Or we pray and nothing changes. So we don't think God is hearing us or understanding us. Maybe but when we see Jesus here in the garden, Jesus is praying. We see his passion. And I think we understand his passion anymore, especially over in Mark 15, 34, when Jesus is on the cross, when he finally says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's when the passion all comes together. You see, when Jesus is saying this, he is quoting Psalms 22, 
where David is experiencing great pain and he's wanting divine intervention. And as you read through that chapter, you kind of see either he's friendless or his friends are so few that they can't be counted on. But nonetheless, he feels alone. And all David knows is his enemies are all around him. And he even describes these enemies as bulls or dogs that are surrounding him. And again, he's crying for divine intervention. He's crying for God to do something. And it looks like maybe he does have friends, but they're so far off in the back, in the distance, that they don't show up until it's all over. But it shows Jesus in this text in Mark 15. It shows Jesus enduring intolerable agony. It's deeper than any external infliction that's been put upon him, whether through the scourging or through the the thorns or people spitting on him as he's carrying the cross, as he's beaten down to almost nothing. That now on the cross, that maybe that is even more painful than anything he's ever experienced. You see, as it was now, Everything that he had done before to being on the cross, having the sins of the world upon him, the weight of all that sin was upon him was just so much that he's crying out for this divine intervention where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe as someone suggested that maybe each time Jesus prayed, he heard a gentle but firm no. And he kept hearing that until Jesus finally said, okay, Your will be done. If God could have found another way, why didn't he? But you see, maybe it was in the garden that God was proving once and for all, without a question, without a shadow of doubt, beyond our shame or unworthiness, just how much he loves us and just how far he is willing to go to prove that love to us. You know, just how big and how far the love our Heavenly Father will go to prove to us how much He loves us. You see, today, if we wonder whether God still loves you despite where you've been, even if you wonder if God can keep loving you as often as you have failed Him, remember this. God would rather send His Son to hell for us than to bring Him home without you. You see, there's a lesson in the garden for us. That even as the guys were sleeping and they didn't understand what was going on, Jesus still had a passion to do what he needed to do for us. And I think he knew deep down God wasn't going to change his mind. That he was still going to face the cross because he understood that's what he came to do. But maybe by understanding the Gethsemane story. And understanding what Jesus went through, maybe for the first time, picturing what Jesus experienced for us, that we could actually see it. That maybe we can experience God and God's pure love for us for the first time. Take care and God bless.